there's a bunch I got out of that, Lee and Marilyn. Maybe the top thing is that after 58 years, I will master the art of completely ignoring my wife's like, wrap it up, honey move. <laughs> like, after 58 years, that doesn't even phase you anymore, does it, Lee? Like, because Amy gives me that one from the front row all the time. Like, wrap it up, honey, it's time. And I, you know, anyway, we'll see. No, we love you guys. Actually, Lee and Marilyn are two of the very first people I met when I came to Cedar Mill and um, kind of started that process for me of falling in love with this church. So we appreciate you so much. Hey, I'm going to invite the ushers. Oh, the ushers are like, we have the offering bags. And Pastor Ron didn't call for it. So what will we do? Come on, guys. This church is just anxious to give with joy to God for all that he's done. And I say that with a little sarcasm, but actually I hope it's true. Um, as they do that, let me just um, offer you a couple things before we get into our message. As many of you know, our children's ministry here at Cedar Mill has been rapidly expanding, and maybe you don't know to the extent of which that's happening. Last week, there were 16 kids in the 9 o'clock service for preschool kindergarten, 30 Preschool kindergartners at 11. That's a big class of preschool kindergartners. Uh, there were 17 three-year-olds at 11 last week. Last week, at the 11 o'clock service, there were 27 fifth graders. So uh, if you can imagine being the fifth grade teachers for a minute, just pause and consider that. Because it sounds cool when you're in here. Um, and that's actually the point. Uh, we believe God may be calling some of you to minister to our kids. What a gift it is that we have young families and children coming. Marilyn talked about that. Um, but we need folks who will make that a ministry, who won't just go and fill a slot, but who'll go and love on these children and care for them and teach them about Jesus. So if maybe God's nudging you in that way, I would encourage you to talk to Pastor Paul, Pastor Bethany, Nikki Engblom. Um, we'd love to have you join our uh, CMK, Cedar Mill Kids team. That's a, that's a wonderful gift. And then one more thing quickly before we jump into the sermon. Um, Pastor Dan Larson, who served here faithfully for 30 years, um, on Friday night, his dad passed away. And so he's not here today. He's with his family. Um, but I thought we should just pause for a minute and pray for Dan and for Leanne, for the Larsons. Um, so if you would join me in that, I want to lift up the Larson family. Father, I don't need to tell you what's going on. You know what's happening. But we do just come together as a people, as uh, Dan and Leanne's church home, and we lift up that family to you. We thank you for Dan's dad, for his life for the way he loved you. Pray for his mom right now and this time. And just draw close, Lord. Remind them of your goodness and your faithfulness, even in the face of of death, God. So, um, yeah, we lift them to you. We give them to you, Jesus, for your care and remind them that we're with them as well. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to shift gears here. We're going to jump into the message. And I'm going to start this week again with a question. Not a full quiz like last week, but a question that I want you to answer in your own mind. Here it is. Are you ready? It's a tough one. If you were stranded on a desert island and you could only have one book, what one would you choose? Consider that just to yourself for a minute. Don't give away any answers to others. And as you consider it, let me um, share this with you. Some of you will know a guy by the name of G. K. Chesterton. You've heard of Chesterton. He's one of the most intellectual, intelligent, thoughtful, 
Christian authors of the last century. And ironically enough, Chesterton was asked this very question. This man who loved God, um, loved the word of the Lord, he was asked, if you were stranded on a desert island, you could only have one book, what would it be? And Chesterton's answer, of course, was Thomas's Guide to Practical Shipbuilding. <laughs> That's what G.K. Chesterton answered when asked that question. So I don't know if you got it right or wrong, but Chesterton says if you're stranded on a desert island, what you really want is a book that will help you get home. Um, But we're not going to talk about shipbuilding this morning. We are going to talk about the Bible. But first, I want to talk about you. I want to talk about your brain your mind. And I want to introduce you to two laws about your brain that you may or may not be familiar with. The first one is called the law of cognition. The law of cognition is actually very simple. It it goes like this. You are what you think. You are what you think. Over the last 50 years or so, the most dominant movement in American psychology has come to be known as cognitive psychology. And cognitive psychology is built around this one very simple truth. The way that you think is the single most important shaper of who you are as a person. That's at the very center of cognitive psychology, the the number one sort of most important field of psychology in our world today. So many studies, friends, have demonstrated this. The way you think creates your attitudes. The way you think shapes your emotions. The way you think affects your behavior. The way you think even has a lot to do with your immune system and your vulnerability to, to illness. They've done some amazing studies where people boarding airplanes... And they've studied people who who get on airplanes with different attitudes and mindsets around illness. And the number one factor, the number one determining factor, if if you're going to be sick or not, when you get off an airplane, a lot of you get on airplanes, you think, oh no, all the germs, they're trapped in there. The number one factor is not if there's sick people on board, if you're taking those, you know, pre-flight meds or whatever. It's the attitude, the mindset you have when you get on the plane. That is the power of our minds. You see, what we've discovered in the last half century through social sciences is simply a truth that the Bible, as it turns out, has known all along. What happens in our minds shapes who we are. This is why Paul writes to the church at Rome, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's transforming power in the way you think. Or Romans 8. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Or from the mouth of Jesus himself, a good person brings good things out of the good stored up in them, and an evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in them. Jesus is talking here about what's going on inside of you, your thought processes, what you think. Jesus is talking here about the law of cognition. That's law number one. The second law I want to offer you today is called the law of exposure. And the law of exposure is also very simple. It goes like this. Your mind will think most 
about what it's most exposed to. So the law of cognition is, you are what you think. The law of exposure is, you think what you're exposed to. And friends, this is actually just common sense. You came here this morning to hear a talk that's built 100% on common sense, the common sense of God, just the way he has ordered and created the world and you, the way your mind works. When Skylar, our, our oldest, was, was very young, Amy and I, as first-time parents, were very, very particular about what she did and did not get to eat. We were very particular about what went into her physical body. And there's this moment that stands out in our, in our history of parenting. We were visiting my folks, um, and we were all sitting around the table together. Skylar was just still very, very young, sitting in her high chair. And my dad had this little dab of sugar-filled strawberry jam on his pinky. And my father moved his pinky towards the mouth of my daughter with that poisonous jam intending to put it into her body. And then all of a sudden, simultaneously, an explosion came forth from both my wife and I. Um, All at once, we yelled, No! And you would have thought from our reaction that that it was arsenic-laced jam or something, right? That's how passionate we were. And in fact, it was just normal jam. I think actually it was homemade jam that your grandmother had made, which probably insulted her in that moment. But we did not care. Because we understood that what you put into our child physically will impact who they become physically. Well, I have to tell you, just so I gain a little bit of street cred back, we've, we've, we've loosened up as parents just a little. This is our family this past week on Monday night, the kitchen table, sorting through not just strawberry jam, but an assortment of other sugary treats that they gathered from the neighbors for free. Um, so we're not as crazy, or maybe we've gone downhill. You, you be the judge. But the point is this. We all understand this. What we put into our bodies physically impacts who we become physically, and the same is true for our minds. The same is true on a spiritual level as well. Again, this is why the Bible speaks so clearly and emphatically about this. This is why Paul writes to the church at Corinth, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought. He doesn't say we take every behavior captive. He says we take every thought captive. He's not as concerned about behaviors as he is about thoughts. Paul moves upstream. He understands this. Behaviors come from thoughts. So we take them captive and make them obedient to Christ. We want to be obedient to Christ in our thinking. You see, friends, the law of exposure says this. What enters your mind repeatedly shapes your mind ultimately. And yet, friends, we are so often surprised. I I find this in our world and in people. when, When what our minds are constantly exposed to comes out in how we think and how we feel and how we act and what we do. It's so shocking, How in the world do we have a a world filled with violence and sexual misconduct and greed? Well, I'll tell you why. Our world is filled with images of violence and sexual misconduct and greed. And we're surprised that that when what we put in comes out, it seems shocking to us. It's not shocking, friends. It's common sense. It's, It's basic biblical wisdom. Young people, hear me clearly on this one. I want to speak to you just as strongly as I possibly can this morning because this does include what you listen to 
on your iPods. This includes what you dial up on your computer screens and cell phones. This does include what you watch on the television set. But it is not just limited to that. It goes even beyond that. It also includes the environments you put yourself in, the people that you surround yourself with, the people that you allow to have the most influential places in your life. Adults, this can be for you as well. Psalm chapter 1 says it this way. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of God and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. You see, the psalmist understands this. Our thinking, our minds, our personhood will be impacted by our surroundings, our environments, the people we allow into our lives. You know this instinctively, right? If you sit through a sermon or you're a part of a gathering where where something is being taught, it just soaks into your brain and then it impacts your behavior. This is why when the pastor teaches on something like the first will be last and the last will be first, it's almost impossible to get a cup of coffee in the church lobby afterwards. Why? Because everyone just stands around with their cups in their hands going, no, you go first. No, you, I insist. Get in there. No, I couldn't possibly go before you, right? I mean, sometimes I have to go out in the church lobby, push people aside, cut in line, and get my coffee first just so that I can help you feel freedom to get coffee in a timely way. It's because what we expose our minds to seeps into our behaviors. And the opposite is also true. You've seen this as well. I remember being at a concession stand once. Amy and I were in line about two-thirds of the way through a hockey game. And we had gone out to get some food. And after witnessing and observing all the, all the violence and, and anger and aggression out on the ice, the people in line for these concessions were, were just kind of over the top. It's, obviously, it's obvious that what was happening out there was starting to impact them in here. And so people were impatient and they were angry and they were rude. And I remember we were about halfway through the line and then this little old woman, really old, really frail, she looked super nice, but she just shoved her way right in front of us. Like with no disregard you know, for the line of people back here. And we were shocked. And when I pointed out to her that the line kind of started back a little bit, she looked at me with a face and said words that I am embarrassed to repeat in church. And then, friends, maybe most significantly is this. I'll never forget the look on her face when Amy clotheslined her. Now, that's actually not true. That's... I made that story up, but, but, but the point is true, and the point is this, so stay with me. The events you attend, the materials that you read, the music that you listen to, the images you watch, the people you surround yourself with, the conversations that you hold, the daydreams that you entertain, all of these are shaping your mind, eventually your character, and ultimately your destiny. That's how big what we are talking about here this morning is. That's what's at stake here. It seems so small and so insignificant, and yet when you add it all up, we're talking about who you are becoming. And here's the good news. You 
can become the person God wants you to become. You can put these truths, these laws to work for you. You can get on the solution side of this deal. You can apply biblical wisdom to your life. You can listen to Paul when he writes these life-transforming words to the church at Philippi. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Or in Colossians chapter 3 when he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now notice what he doesn't say here. Quickly read a Bible verse once a day in between appointments in a fast, hectic way so that you can check it off the list. Right? Hear a sermon at least three times a month, maybe two, so that the word of God can be a part of your routine. No, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly or abundantly. If you were here last week, we talked about the idea that that God wants to put to death our deep, internal, sinful desires and habits so that, having been changed on the inside, our behaviors will reflect that on the outside. And today we're delving into that in a deeper way, and we're talking about reading Scripture in a way that truly alters us, that changes us, that transforms our thinking. Today we're talking about, and this is the title of the message, Scripturing Our Minds. And this morning, I'm in the time we have remaining, just going to give you two simple points that both start with S, and I hope they will help you read the Scriptures in a more transformational way, in a way that actually changes the very way you think. Here's number one, and it comes straight out of our... Luke 24 story that we've been walking through. Here's point number one. Let the Bible story you. Let the Bible story you. Remember the two disciples? They're walking along the road after Jesus has been crucified. Their worlds have been turned upside down. They're, they're, they're confused. They're discouraged. They're afraid. They are completely caught up in their own little world. And then Jesus comes along and he uses the scriptures to remind them that it's not just all about them, but that there's something so much bigger going on, that God's at work doing something so much bigger than what they are currently seeing. He says this. It says this in Luke. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Here's what Jesus does. He takes their current situation, what they have just gone through, and he says, let me, guys, use the scriptures to show you how what you are experiencing right now fits into the overall story and plan of God. Because what's going on in your life right now is is just a little snippet, just a little section of God's overall story, his big plan for all of creation. You see, often, friends, when, when we are, as Jesus followers, thinking about God and our stories, we are tempted to ask questions like this. Where does God fit into my story? Where do I see God in my story? How is God at work in my life? And that's not a terrible question, but it's maybe not the best question. Maybe a better question is this. How does my life, my situation, my current reality fit into God's 
story. You see, we're so concerned about getting God to fit into our story that we forget this. It's not our story. It's his story. And our, he doesn't fit into our story, but we actually fit into his. Ruth Haley Barton, in her book, Life Together in Christ, talks about the first time she experienced this and began to think in this way. She was on a retreat... And the retreat leader asked everybody to go away and just to consider for a substantial amount of time um, where in the scriptures they saw their life. The question was, where is the place in scripture where you find yourself saying, oh, my story is being told here. That story sounds like my story. When you read the Bible and you hear about all the situations and all the people and all the circumstances, where is the place where you say to yourself, oh, That's how I feel. That's who I am. That's what I'm going through. Listen to some of the possible answers. If you were to consider looking for your story in the story of Scripture. I feel like the church at Laodicea because right now, in my faith, I'm just lukewarm. Or I feel like Martha because I'm so busy working for Jesus but haven't been spending time with Jesus. Or I I feel like Peter on the water. I feel afraid and exposed. Or Thomas because I'm full of doubt. Or I feel like Nicodemus because I'm seeking Jesus right now but I haven't quite yet determined what I think. Or maybe you'd look at the story and you'd say, my story is like the story of Esther because just like her, I'm called to do something that is so much bigger than what I feel equipped for. Or maybe you feel like the prodigal child in a foreign land, still clinging to your pride, not yet willing to go back home to dad. Or maybe you're the prodigal on the way home and you're filled with anxiousness and fear and you're wondering how the father will receive you since you've been gone so long. Or maybe you're like the older brother and you're realizing that you've been faithfully following God for all these years, but you've had the wrong heart and motivation the entire time. Or right now you might say, I feel like Job, because I thought God and I were tight, but I'm actually in the middle of some very intense suffering, and to be honest, I'm not exactly sure where God is in the midst of all of it. Or maybe you're like the women at the tomb, and you've just discovered that Jesus rose, and you're thrilled, and you're excited, but you're still not yet sure what this all means for your life. You see, think, friends, here's the power of letting the Bible story you. It reminds us that no matter what we're facing, no matter where we are in life, God is working to use it for his plans and purposes. Uh, A friend of mine in between services said, ah, for years in my job, I felt like Joseph because I just felt like I was in prison. And I said, yes! And when you saw it that way, there's so much power in that. Why? Because just like God was using Joseph's imprisonment for his greater plan, he was using you at your job for his greater plan. You see, friends, when you will put yourself into the story instead of trying to bring God into your story, it will give you perspective like none other. No matter who you are or what you're facing, you are a part of God's story. And we see that and we're reminded of that when we put ourselves and see ourselves in the scriptures, God's story of redemption. Let the Bible story you. That's way number one. Next way number two, let the Bible saturate you. Let the Bible saturate you. You see, one of the things we often do in the Protestant church is we read the Bible for two things. 
for information and then application. We read the Bible and we ask, what does it say? What does it mean? And how does it apply to my life? Now this, again, isn't all bad. Information and application are both very good, very positive things to get from the Scriptures, but they are, I'd argue, not the only two things. In fact, if you only read the Scriptures for information and application, I'd argue that you're missing one of the key components, one of the key reasons for which we read the Bible. Not just information, not just application, but you should read the Scriptures, we all should, for transformation. Listen again to, to Barton in Life Together in Christ. This, this blew my mind this week. And what I realized this week is I so often, like a classic like physics major engineer brain guy, read the Bible for information and application. Just give me the facts, tell me what it means, and then I will apply it to my behavior, to the way I live. Right? But what I've noticed is that's very, it's a very external way of relating to the scriptures. It keeps it sort of at an arm's distance from my soul, from my heart, from, from the deep rest recesses of my thinking. Barton talks about it this way. She says, In addition to questions like, What does the text say? What does it mean? How do I apply it to my life? We might also ask, How do I feel? about what is being said. I didn't even know you were allowed to ask that when I was a kid. How do I feel about what is being said? Where do I find myself resonating with the scriptures? Where do I find myself resisting, pulling back, disagreeing, wrestling with what the scriptures might be saying? Are you allowed to be that honest with God? I guess so, according to her. And the more I've th thought about it, the more I think God would just love that, that kind of dialogue with one of us. Where do I find myself resisting, pulling back, disagreeing, wrestling with what the scriptures might be saying? Why do I feel this way? What aspect of my life is being touched, challenged, spoken to through the scriptures? And then this, can I be honest with Jesus and my companions about these things? Can I be honest with Jesus about the places where I don't really like what his word says or I'm resistant to it or it's touching me in a place that feels too vulnerable? Can I be honest with Jesus and my companions about these things? You see, friends, reading the Bible transformationally is not just gaining cognitive knowledge that I can apply to modify my behavior. It involves time and a willingness to let the scriptures sink down and saturate our minds and hearts such that it begins to transform the way I think and the way I feel and thus the way I will live. It transforms us from the inside out. Listen again, friends, to Psalm 1. You might have missed this the first time through. First Psalm written. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. That's the way in the Old Testament they referred to the Old Testament or the scriptures. Whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Blessed is the one who meditates on the word of God day and night. The word meditate I think it's a scary word sometimes for us evangelicals. It's not part of our, of our normal lingo in this branch of the church. It sounds strange. It can sound sort of Eastern. Some of you might be wondering something like, don't Buddhists meditate? Well, I'd answer this way. They do, but they also eat breakfast. So, you know, I don't think we want to give that one up. 
the scripture actually has a lot to say about meditation. Does he know that? Read the story of Isaac in Genesis 24. He goes out and he meditates on the word of God and God speaks to him and directs his life in a powerful way. Friends, if you are intimidated when I talk about meditation or when we enter into meditating around the word of God, if that seems strange or foreign to you, just think of it this way. How many of you in here already know how to worry? If you know how to worry, you can meditate. Because when you worry, all you're doing is you're just ruminating on something. You're just turning it over and over and over again in your mind. That's exactly what you do when you meditate. You're an expert. You've been practicing this your whole life. You just take a scripture and you let it saturate deep into your mind and heart and you internalize it and you digest it and you let it begin to form the way you think. Not just to change your behavior for one moment or in one instance. And so this morning, instead of me standing here and talking about meditation for a while longer, I thought we'd actually just take a few minutes and practice. We're going to try something. We're going to get just a little taste of something that's called, that's been called throughout church, church history, Lectio Divina, which is just a fancy way of saying divine reading. It's a way of reading the scriptures in order to encounter the divine, in order to encounter God himself. Um, and again, if you feel uncomfortable about this, you don't need to. This is a practice that, has, that goes way back in the church, all the way to the, the early centuries, and the church fathers used to, used to practice this. And um, to help lead us through this, I'm going to ask a gentleman from our congregation um, by the name of Mike Dugas to come up. Mike is as handsome as he is smart and spiritual. Did I say that right, Mike? Just the, the way you asked me to? Perfect. Um, I think that was how you said it. Um, no, Mike didn't say that, but he is handsome and spiritual and smart. Mike is someone who practices this himself. This is part of his life. He's learned this this practice in terms of relating to God and connecting with him. He's also um, led it for for people over the years. Maybe some of you have even been a part of a class where Mike's led this. So I asked Mike to come up and just walk us through um, a little bit of Lectio Divina. And let me say this as he comes. It's going to be silent in here. There's going to be nothing on the screen. And for some of you, that will just feel like you know, a glass of cool, crisp water. For others in this room, maybe if you're wired up a little more like me, that will be a challenge. The silence will feel awkward. And so let me just invite you, let me just give you permission just to flip your palms over, take a posture of receiving, no matter where you're at in your relationship with God, if you're just kind of seeking Him or if you've been walking with Him for years, let me just invite you to just say, God, speak to me however you need to. Because we live in this world, friends, that's noisy and chaotic and hectic and, and just sort of filled with frenetic activity. And so I want you to, to consider this. Consider these few moments of quiet a gift, a gift for you to just slow down and let God speak to you in your mind. So um, we're going to be doing several readings uh, from the scripture, and um, uh, 
You're not going to be able to read it. I'm just, you're just going to listen to it and let the scripture wash over you and uh, quiet your mind right now and prepare yourself to just listen to the Holy Spirit. Um, so just, we'll just take a few minutes first just to quiet our minds and prepare to listen to God. So I'm, I'm going to be reading two verses, uh, one right after another. Um, and what I'm asking you to do here is to, as you're quiet, um, be listening to a word or phrase that just seems to resonate with you or that sticks out to you. So I'm going to read it once and then I'm going to read it again and then I'm going to give you some time just to let it ruminate. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus, he has given us through these things his precious and very great promises so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants of the divine nature. I'm going to read it one more time so you can have it ruminate. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus, he has given us through these things his precious and very great promises so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust, and may become participants of the divine nature. In this next reading of the same scripture, um, be thinking about where this word or phrase that, that jumped out at you, where does it touch you in your life? Where does it, where is it resonating in your life? And then we'll have a short time of silence afterwards.
His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus, he has given us through these things his precious and very great promises so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants of the divine nature. In this reading, be thinking about how is God, how is God calling you to respond to what you've just been given? What is your response? You may wish to just say a prayer. You may wish to say something out loud. um, uh, Whatever is appropriate for you. How are you? How are you to respond to what the inkling that God has given you from the reading? His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus, he has given us through these things his precious and very great promises so that through them, you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants of the divine nature. So in this final reading, this is just a time to let the rest in the scripture, um, let the scripture wash over you and uh, rest in the Holy Spirit. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus he has given us, through these things, his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants of the divine nature.
Lord Jesus, we just thank you for uh, this conversation we've had with you here. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. Is it good to just get a moment of quiet before you go back out to the not quiet world? I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when I get alone with God, sometimes the reason I don't do it as much as I should is because when I do get alone with God, he points some things out about me that I don't always love noticing. And that's where we go back to the very first point that was made today, and that's storing ourselves in the scriptures. If you're here this morning and maybe through this time God pointed out some stuff in your life that you think, man, I I wish that was different. And maybe God said, I have power to to fix that in you, and we could do that together if we partnered or participated in that. Maybe the place to restore yourself this morning is at the table. We talked today about storing ourselves through the scriptures, but one of the ways we story ourselves, we put ourselves right in the middle of God's story every week together as a community is by going to the table and saying, Lord, and the very heart of your story is this death and this resurrection of your son. The very heart of your story is this moment where you remind us that in spite of all the brokenness and fallenness inside of us, you love us and you've redeemed us and you've saved us. You've provided a way for us again to have relationship with you and then walk in newness of life. And so as we go and we think about storing ourselves in the scriptures and saturating ourselves in the scriptures, go this morning after having storied yourself at the table. So we're going to close the service this way. Jerry and the team are going to just play quietly. When you're ready, come to the table, take the bread, take the cup, be reminded of who our God is that he loves you so much that he gave his life, that his body was broken, that his blood was shed, and that through that, your story can be redeemed. Your story can be moved back into the story of God. and You can have relationship with him. So when you're ready, come to the table, take the elements, receive them on your own when you're ready, um, and then we'll continue together in worship.